As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi folks, welcome to the first episode of a new FPL podcast series in which I'll be interviewing the best managers in the world to get an insight on how they play the game we all love so successfully. To begin with, I'll be talking to managers from the Elite 64 Mini League, which I run. If you're not familiar with it, it's an invitational league I set up a few years ago, made up of 64 of the best managers in the world. I was in it initially, but managed to get relegated from my own league, the ultimate shame, and haven't managed to get back into it since. Hopefully, I'll achieve that goal this season. I'm sure gaining insight from these great managers will help me along the way. The bottom 14 managers in the Elite 64 are relegated each year and are replaced by the top 10 from the Qualifier League, which is also made up of 64 managers. That leaves four spots open in the Elite 64 itself for me to invite newcomers such as the winner of FPL and other amazing managers who have come onto my radar during the season. Once I've got through all the Elite 64 manager interviews, I'll get on Zoom with a few of the guys from the Qualifier League as well, as their FPL histories are incredible also. First up, it's FPL Heisenberg, who you'll know if you're active on FPL Twitter. He's got three top 10K finishes to his name including a best-ever finish of 836th. Over the past seven seasons, Wes has been very consistent. I'll read out his most recent ranks, starting from last season, working backwards. 7K, 25K, 18K, 836, 9K, 31K, and 20K. So, you know, getting top 10K finishes is obviously impressive, but more so for me, I think consistency is, is even more impressive. You can get seven really good finishes. You know, there's not one bad season in there. That's just as impressive as having three top 10K finishes. So welcome, Heisenberg. So I'll jump into the first question. I'm going to start with, with this one for everyone who comes on. How did you get into FPL and when was it? So FPL was 2013, but fantasy football in general was way before then. Like I'm talking early 2000s. So I was only like 11 or 12. Where I live, someone basically did sort of pre-internet well internet was around but without the internet just sort of did like a mini league that you just ran manually so it was a lot of work for the guy who ran it but I managed to win that at a young age so I just had the bug from there really and then like at uni days it was like the Suns version but yeah found FPL in 2013 and I was like right this is the best format in my opinion so this is the one that I'm going to be um, going for going forward. Nice one and how would you describe yourself as an FPL manager? So I'd say I'm confident in my own decisions and I own my own mistakes, but I don't let them dictate my future decisions. We all make plenty of mistakes in FPL every season. I do every year. And also you just read out my my history there. But it's about making less than the competition, essentially, and not letting your future decisions. So maybe you made a mistake, you've bought in a player that's maybe a mistake or whatever it is. It's about actually dealing with that in a less emotional way and a more sort of just using your head and sorting it out, if that makes sense. Yep, sounds good. This one is interesting. I'm very interested to hear the different kind of replies to this question during the series. Is your play style, whether it be conservative or a risk taker? So first of all, you can tell me what it is. And is that reflective yeah. of you as a person? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because 
it's actually the opposite for me. So in sort of real life, or yeah, outside of FPL, I am a, a big risk taker, not conservative at all. But in FPL, my, my playing style is more conservative, I guess, just because I feel like that is the, the way to achieve most points, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm I'm opposite to you then. I'm, I'm as, as most people know, I'm a very boring conservative manager. I'm very risk averse and it's it's the same in life. You know, I, I don't take very many risks. I probably should take more risks in life, but, you know, a few couple of examples, you know, I, I don't have a credit card, never had one, you know, live within my means, you know, never spend cash that I don't have. So it's very much, I think my FPL style of management totally reflects who I am as a person. So it's going to be interesting throughout the yeah. series to see that the different approaches to that. So getting into FPL itself, how much football do you watch? You know, do you watch lots of 90-minute matches? Do you just focus on highlights? You know, so for example, on, on, on any given weekend, you know, how many, you know, 90-minute matches would you watch? Yeah, so it's interesting. I probably should have said at the start, actually, that I, I transitioned from leaving a, a regular job into sort of FPL content creating world. So, you know, with this being a full-time job for myself, I then have up to the amount of what I watch football uh, and last year, especially because of all the games on TV for us over here in the UK, weren't they, Mark? So we had the opportunity to actually watch more. Like back now, it's uh, it's obviously switched back to the, the usual schedule. So, yeah, I probably watch about five full matches per weekend, I'd say. And then the other games would be on more sort of extended highlights sort of version. I'll probably watch more of the highlights if I had a good week. If I've had a bad week, it takes me maybe a, a day or two to actually go and watch the highlights I haven't seen, especially if it's a match where players have punished me. But yeah, no, I do watch a lot of football because I enjoy it and because I find it helps with FPL because in terms of the stats, things like a, a player being a, maybe a millimetre or a centimetre away from connecting with a cross to score an open goal won't show up on the XG stats or the shots on target stats, but there was obviously very close to scoring a goal and that sort of thing. So yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. You know, we you know we get about five live games on TV in the UK, so I'll record a few of them and watch them. You know, maybe Monday, Tuesday. But it's I've always found it very frustrating. You know, we're in the we're in the UK where the games are being played, and we don't get to watch all ten games on a Premier 100%. League weekend, whereas other countries do. So I think Norway, for example. So I think it's no coincidence that their Norwegians are so good at FPL when they've got yeah. you know a choice of all 10 games at the weekend. So you're probably, I'm guessing from what you've said, are you more of an eye test focused manager than, than stats focused? Yeah, I am more more eye test. But then what I tend to do is then go and back up that with with the stats. So if, and especially if you've only watched one game, maybe someone's had a really good, good game, but they're, you know, they might be playing weaker opposition or for whatever reason, they're a bit of maybe a patchy player and they look really good in that game, but you've got to take all that context into it. You've got to weigh up, are they a patchy player? Are they consistent? Are they trusted over the years? And therefore they're now back on form and you can kind of go off one game. Uh, but yeah, no, I like to use it, definitely a mixture of both, but eye test for me first, and then I'll go and back it up with stats. Another thing that I find people do, and probably myself as well, will cherry pick, you know, if we really want to bring in a player X, we'll almost go and find stats to support that. You've got to try and almost be a scientist about it and go look at the stats without having a, an answer in your head already. Let's say you want player X and, you know, you, you can always go and find stats to almost support it or come up with justifications. You've got to try and remove yourself from that, look at the stats and eye test and then make a decision. Yeah, that's a good tip. It's it's very easy, you know, for example, if you're if you're looking to buy a, a Jamie Vardy, you know, you can look at his stats for the last four game weeks and they could be amazing. But all you have yeah. to do is slide the little filter to last eight game weeks or last ten game weeks, and you can you can have a very different read on it. So it's you've got to remember too when when you see people posting stats online, usually it's coming from something that they're thinking about doing themselves as well. So yeah. there's a lot of bias within stats, even though uh, we like to think there's not as much as the IT. So sticking with stats, what stats do you use in your decision making, and where do you go to find them? Yeah, so I use Fantasy Football Hub. You know, people who know me probably know that I'm, I'm fairly involved there. But yeah, I like the, the Fantasy Football Hub app for stats and I tend to filter it for, for various things, really. So for defenders and goalkeepers, I'll look at the team stats and see how they're doing defensively, sort of expected goals conceded, how many shots on target are they facing uh, and, and things like that. So if if those numbers are looking good, then I'm thinking, OK, clean sheets are likely for those players. And then I'll look at the team and think, okay, which one is the most attacking defender in that team or the best value for money? Sometimes you get a really cheap defender, don't you? You've got a big team when there's an injury or something. So you factor in price, you factor in how attacking they are, how nailed on they are. Sometimes the more attacking options can be a bit of a rotation risk, which is frustrating. Um, you factor all that in, then you pick your defender. 
With midfielders and attackers, obviously team stats are less important. They do still hold, hold some weight because you want the team to be playing well and creating a lot of chances in general so that your attacker can be in the position to score the goals. But yeah, I tend to narrow it into more individual stats there and just look at sort of shots on target for strikers, big chances created and yeah, XG uh, and expected assist, things like that. Yeah, I was just going to come on to that next. Actually, you know, people like myself and yourself who've been playing FPL for a long time, when we started, there was no such thing as expected stats, or at least it was in its very early days before there was probably a handful of people who knew about it. And it's something we've either had to embrace or some managers decided just to completely ignore it. I know initially when I started with expected stats, I was a bit stubborn and was a bit, you know, if I've done well without it before, why do I need it now? But as, yeah. as the years have passed, I've you know found that it is actually a very useful tool to use in FPL management. So you, you do use it in your decision-making, do you? Yeah, but I'd say I was, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I know some people swear by it and think it's the best thing ever, and I get that. And you know maybe they're right. But for me, I'm somewhere in the middle because some players will do really well on expected goals, maybe someone like Werner. But then you watch him and you, you see he's lacking confidence and he's sort of scuffing shots down the middle. But on the expected goals, that's, that's like a shot from a good position. And when these trends keep emerging, like, okay, the, this play was really good for the underlying expected goals, expecting assists, but they're not coming to fruition in real life, then, you know, I don't necessarily like to go with those players. You know, it sounds really simple and really maybe too basic, but, you know, the, the best stat, the most important one is actual is actual goals and actual assists, isn't it? And again, you used Jamie Vardy earlier. He's, he's kind of a player who's often had one chance, one goal sort of thing. And there are players like that who can exceed. I think Son is another one uh, in recent years who's exceeded their expected goals because he's maybe a much better finisher than some other players. Or maybe there's been a bit of luck in there. It's hard to tell. Yeah, I think we've got the point in, in FPL now where I think a lot of people overdo it with the stats probably. You, know, you, you can yeah. get in so deep into it and, and believe in them so much that like you say, you get away from the very basics of the game, goals, mm. assists and clean sheets. Uh, you know, yeah. Vardy's a good example, especially if you've got historical data of, let's say, five seasons of a player scoring, you know, 15 to 20 goals. You know, stats yeah. to me then for a player like Vardy doesn't really make a difference. And we're at a point in the season now where, where Vardy's going through a run of blanks, but it doesn't bother me too much because, you know, even if his stats are not good, I've, I've got confidence. I've got the historical data that he'll be in the goals again soon. And, and he's always got the penalties as well. So moving away from stats, in terms of team value, do you build it by making early transfers during the season or do you wait until after the press conferences on a Friday to make your transfers? Yeah, this is really, really interesting to me. So what I used to do for the sort of first four or five seasons playing FPL, roughly speaking, was to, especially, in, and then in the first half of seasons, I'd build quite a big team value. And again, I did, did quite well doing that. Um, I wouldn't be stupid about it and sort of just bring in bandwagon players just to try and make a, a few quid. I did obviously prioritise points over pounds of course but I was more you know if I had a transfer in mind instead of waiting until Friday to execute it I would execute it early on in the week to save that money whereas now ever since sort of you know lockdown and the risk of you know with, with the Covid stuff so from the start of last season that for me brought in a, into the equation of okay it's just too risky to go early because even if there's no Champions League there's so many players and, and even games were being abandoned weren't they not abandoned sorry postponed so for that reason, I think I saw, I think it was a Twitter conversation between yourself and Tom Freeman, maybe about, or maybe you tweeted a quote from him saying something along the lines of, there's always another way. If you're, you know, you just get priced out of two transfers that you've got planned, then you might miss out on player X, but you know, there's lots of other options. There's always another way to make your team work. And, you know, hearing great managers like yourself and Tom Freeman say that it was like, okay, yeah, that sort of added weight to my thought of let's wait now because of COVID. And because last season I had a good season, it was actually my second best season. I'm kind of thinking, I'm kind of still in that mindset, even though this season's less of a issue with COVID, I feel like it still could be a thing. And also there's training ground injuries, there's all sorts that goes on and the extra information. My brain sometimes takes a long time to process the information or to come to the decision I want to make by Friday. And my mind might have changed from the Monday. So even without any injuries or whatever, I might have been thinking about player Y on a Monday, but then my thoughts have changed and actually I want to save a transfer, which is something I like to do a lot if I can by the time Friday comes along and therefore I've made what I consider a better decision rather than a rushed decision, especially if you check like 10.30 at night and it's like you're thinking, oh, I want to go to sleep, but this player is going to rise in price overnight. Do I do it? Don't I? And you have to kind of make a split decision on a Tuesday night, which is just madness. So yeah, I like to wait nowadays. 
Yeah, I'm the same. And I've always been like that. That was a, the comment you mentioned was from Tom Freeman. Or I think it was on his Meet the Manager uh, episode on the Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel. Make sure listeners check that out as well. A very good series. You might even find a video of me in that series somewhere a couple of, from a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's the, li- the line specifically, I think, was there's always a solution. And that line yeah, has always stuck with it. me. And, and it, it resonated with me what you were saying there about, you know, sometimes what you want to do on a Monday can look quite different by Thursday or Friday. And, and in my specific case, like I said, I record some of the matches at the weekend if I'm out and about. And I, it, it, sometimes it could be Tuesday or Wednesday before I you know catch up and watching all the 90 minutes. So for that reason alone, you know, I want to get all the games watched before I come to a decision on exactly what I, I want to do that week. And I've, I've just never bothered about team value. I think that there's always other options and it's it hasn't really, I, there's no specific examples that I can think of that it's hindered me in the past because like I said, I just accept if I can't get a player and yeah. and sometimes it actually forces you to find the, the diamond in the rough anyway. Yeah. Uh, in terms of planning, quick, how f- sorry, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Matt, just to quickly interrupt, I just wanted to make another point on that. And, and thinking sure. back to sort of last season, how many cheap options emerged? We had Soycheck at five million, who was a great option for a, a certain period. We had Lingard, who came into West Ham on that loan spell, did really well. He was quite cheap. We had Banford starting at five point five. I've missed out loads, but Ian Acho, even I remember one game week, literally Ian Acho and Lingard, they played each other and they both did really well. They saved my game week and, you know, two players I was never thinking of, both quite cheap. And it just meant that I didn't have to go for those shinier, more expensive options that if I had a higher team value, maybe I, maybe I wouldn't have even ever bothered bringing one of them in. So yeah, I just wanted to try and highlight that point we were making with that example. Yeah, exactly. And Gundogan came to mind there as well. He's yeah, another one exactly. in that season. Exactly. You know, there was points of last season where we're sitting with 10 plus million in our banks, which has probably never yeah. happened before. So it just shows you, yeah, you don't always need to spend your 100 million budget to have the most optimum team at any point in the season. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So yeah, in terms of planning, I'm, I'm interested in this one You know, with all the guests because in terms of planning ahead, I'm a manager who doesn't really plan that far ahead and, and very often... I'm not really thinking any more than one or two game weeks ahead, which surprises a lot of people. You know, I'm always aware of fixtures and and what's coming up for teams and stuff like that. But I'm always in the mindset that things change so quickly in FPL and plans nearly all the time go out the window anyway. So there's no point planning, you know, four or five weeks ahead in terms of I'm going to do this transfer, then I'm going to do that transfer. Because in my eyes, it's, it's a bit pointless. It's good to have an idea of what you want to do. But, you know, how do you how far in advance do you plan? Yeah, I'm just chuckling to myself because I've I've made some notes for that question, and uh, you basically just read out what I uh, <laughs> what I was going to say. So yeah, absolutely the same. If I do have sort of longer term plans, it's very flexible and loose because, like you said, I see people all the time saying, "Oh, I'm going to bring player X in for the next three games, then I'm going to transfer that player to player Y because they've got five games who are really good then, and then that player is going to get transferred to player Z for four games or whatever." And it just doesn't ever work out because, like you said, your other areas of your team will need work injuries will crop up that player who you plan to transfer out maybe he's just bagged a hat trick do you want to take him out just because he's got a semi-difficult game possibly not so yeah I, I'm the same as you I don't plan that far much but what I do do and I'm sure you do as well is I don't want people to think that I just bring in it some people are a little bit too short term where they'll just say Kane's at home to Norwich I'm going to bring him in for this week or that's not a great example but what I mean is I do look at a set of six fixtures before I bring in a player and think, am I happy to hold this player for the, for those six fixtures at least? And things like that. So I will look at the fixtures longer term, but I won't plan out my team to the nth degree, like you were just sort of saying. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I guess what you're trying to say there is we always 
me and you were avoiding those kind of one week transfers based on one yeah. really good fixture, you know, like that. I never, I never bring in a player just for one good game. You want to have it for me anyway, it's at least three or four good fixtures, yeah. if, if not more. So in terms of ownership, it's something I try and avoid as much as possible, but it's with every season that passes, it gets harder to do. So does player ownership slash effective ownership influence your FPL decisions? So no, and I've written this one down as a sort of a big error that people make. And I make and I'll say this because I made this error in game weeks 37 and 38 of the 2020-21 season. So last season, where I was in a good position, say ranked around 4K, and I just wanted to solidify it. And I actually took that effective ownership into consideration in my decisions and it backfired and I dropped down to around around 7k. I could have, if I'd have played my game like I normally do, I'd have probably kicked on and came top three or 2k or whatever. But my point is I made a mistake of actually letting that creep into my thoughts, whereas I'm very much against that. So sometimes my team will be very template. Sometimes it will be very differential. Sometimes it will be a mixture of both. I don't care. Essentially, I don't go chasing differentials. I don't go chasing the template either or whatever. I try to make my own decisions as much as possible without looking at that stuff. Um, I think it's a real mistake to do so and you'll end up being a week or two behind players and you'll, you'll be bringing players at a high effective ownership or high ownership players. But then the elite managers already think about moving that player on and you're playing catch-up and you're chasing points and just it's just... Not a good way to play, in my opinion. Again, people might disagree, but that's just my how I play. I think it's one of the biggest challenges nowadays for us managers is FOMO. And, and you know, this new yeah. effective ownership, which we didn't see until probably about two years ago. And it's everywhere now. You, you go into any weekend and, you, you know, you think your team's great. And then you go on Twitter and you see, you know, two or three players that you don't have. You know, their effective ownership is going to be really high. And it just strikes fear into you. And it's mm. very, it's really, really hard to deal with. Uh, you know, and, and a good example is, you know, Salah reached all-time highs of ownership this season, you know, around 70%, which just makes it so, so difficult to go against them in the captaincy. Mm. But you've really got to just try and put the ownership aside and try come at it. You know, don't make a decision based on fear. You know, if you think, mm. you know, player X is going to outscore Salah in a, in a given yeah. game week, you've got to be brave and you've got to go against the grain. And, you know, if it pays off, you're going to absolutely fly. Obviously, yeah, you can go the other way, but you've if you want to get to the highest you know places in the rankings, sometimes you've got to go against the grain and and, and make up ground. You know, in particular in, in many leagues and stuff like that. So moving on to hits, I've got a couple of questions here, so I'll group them together. How many hits do you usually take over the season? Do you have a specific rule or approach to taking hits? And in what circumstances do you feel a hit is justified? Yeah, so it's a real difficult one to answer this because it's almost like case by case, game week by game week, your, uh, and what how your current team is looking. But last season, I took a minus 32 in total, so which is eight hits. Um, and I think that's there or thereabouts what I do most seasons. And well, again, I don't aim for it, but it just feels about right for me. I'm, I am hit averse, I'd say. You know, if I can put together a good team with a decent first bench option, I will try and not chase that sort of perfect team, that FOMO team, and I will try and ride out with what I've got rather than take a hit. And I, the way I achieve that is by saving transfers as much as possible as well. So I can still do a two transfer move without incurring a hit. But yeah, that kind of goes, doesn't go out the window, but of that minus 32 I'm talking about on two of those occasions, it's actually minus eight on two different occasions. So that's where I was planning for double game weeks and maybe hitting a bench boost. So I would be, yeah, I'd, I'd optimise for that double game week by taking a minus eight to try and effectively hit that double game week. Uh, which I think is more justified. But yeah, I try and avoid them where possible because it can, it can backfire. So let's say you take a minus four for, let's just use Vardy and Kane because you've used those two a lot. You, t- you do a minus four for Vardy to Kane in, in any given game week. To, to break even, that player's got a score and the player you've taken out has got a blank. Again, it's different if, you, if you've got injuries and suspensions and you can't field an 11, then yeah, take the hit because if you don't, you're guaranteed zero from that slot. You might as well give yourself the chance of getting some points obviously back and you're almost guaranteed those two appearance points anyway. Whereas if you're taking out a fit player who's going to start and has a chance of doing well for another player, then it can really it can be a double, a double whammy. You've taken the minus four, which I did early on in the season actually for myself. I, t- I took a minus four to bring in, I think it was to bring in Trent. And if I hadn't have done that, Loughton would have come off my bench for like a 14-pointer. And uh, Trent actually blanked. You know, there's a bit of a rare occasion, uh, occurrence, that one. But yeah, that's how I kind of feel about it. Yeah, I think I think we're very similar managers in many ways. Again, with the hits, you know, I kind of went into this season 
you know, I noted down in my, you know, preseason strategy, try and aim for minus 20 over the course of the season. So that's five hits, but I don't really, I kind of disregard, you know, blank game weeks and double game weeks in that. So if I'm taking a hit, you know, to get a player who plays twice or if I'm replacing a player who doesn't have a fixture, it's more of a kind of a minus two in many ways. So yeah, it's, you know, again, I have a target of minus 20, but it doesn't matter whether I take a minus eight over the season or a minus 40, you know, I'm not going to be mm. you know, tied to that. But I always felt in FPL, yeah. if you manage your squad well, if you fix your weakest link as often as possible, and if you mm. save a transfer when you don't need to make one, you shouldn't have to take too many hits over the season. That's kind of the, my thought yeah. process on hits. And just very, very quickly to build on that, just what you said about fixing your weakest link, I'm a thousand percent on board with that. And another mistake I see people doing is they'll, they'll say, oh, should I do this, these two transfers and bring in those players? And I'm like, yeah, they, you know, they're good players and that, you know, it sounds good on paper, but you've got two defenders there who are injured or you've got some, you know, you're, you're letting the rest of your team rock by flipping between these good players in, in the more attractive positions or whatever. So fixing that weakest link is always a good benefit and not just for the upcoming game week. You might not get as big of a score as you, if you did that sort of more luxury transfer, but six game, game weeks down the line, you've saved yourself many hits and you probably gain more points by fixing those weak links in your team. So yeah, I just wanted to double down on that, that thought. Yeah, again, like. like you say, one of the most common mistakes you see, you'll, you'll have a team that have, you know, two, four million defenders that are not in their starting 11s for their clubs. They've got, you know, three decent defenders, but maybe one of them's a rotation risk, you know, maybe a Chelsea wing back or something like that. And, and they, they send you a message and they say, should I do Vardy to Kane? And you think, yeah, like you say, good idea, but you could be down to two defenders this week if that rotation yeah. risk defender doesn't start. So yeah, defences tend to get ignored and it's, it's very, very important not to ignore that position. So moving on to chips, how do you usually use the chips? So we've got bench boost, triple captain and free hits. And also while we're on chips, do you tend to use the first wildcard early? So with the first wildcard, I do tend to use it fairly early. And that's usually because I find one of the most, probably something that I want to get better at is to be able to build a better pre-season squad. It's just, I just find it so hard to build because pre-season there's so many variables that we don't know. You know, this season, Harry Kane could have started the season on fire or we could have started it as poorly as he did. And loads of other examples like that. How will new, you know, loads of new signings come to the league? Are they going to hit the ground running? Are they not? Et cetera, et cetera. So I always find that I don't necessarily build the best game week one squad or get off to the, a flyer. And after we've got a few game weeks of data and eye tests and all that sort of stuff, we can then build a wildcard squad and push forward. And because of my management style of fixing the weak links of my team, if I save my wildcards of, say, game week 16, by that stage, my team's in a decent enough shape without a wildcard. So it's more effective for me to use it early because of my style. If you are a bit of a sort of, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it because you could do well by being that sort of luxury transfer player, then maybe you could do that and then wildcard later on in the season once you've sort of, you know, backed yourself into a corner and, and your team's gone to a bit of a mess. So that could work. But for my management style, it's definitely better to be earlier. The chips, I'm very strong on optimising them around double game weeks. I see it all the time and it's really frustrating when, when people say, oh, I nearly triple captained. Salah against Norwich and he got 17 points I should have done it it's like well just because that player scored really well it doesn't mean that you should have triple captained them save it for double game weeks these big players Salah, Kane etc Bruno Fernandes whatever will have an opportunity to optimise that in a double game week and that's just such a better chance because you can get random blanks even in easy games for these big players so you can easily waste your triple captainship in a single game week Whereas in a double game week, they're going to get appearance points twice. They're going to have just so many extra chances of scoring points. I remember Salah from a couple of seasons ago blanked in the first one and then scored, I think, a 13 or 15 points away at West Ham and ended up you know, making it a good triple captaincy. So, yeah, I'm very, on all the chips, I'm very keen to use in the double game weeks. Yeah, just, just while we're on chips, um, Bench Boost has got a lot of talk over the last couple of weeks because this season in particular, a lot of us have very strong squads of 15 players and we've seen a few managers very successfully play bench boost in a single game week. So are you open to that or are you going to hold off like me probably for a, for a double game week? Yeah, I, I'm just so keen on using them in a, in a double and although it can work in a single and it almost, it, it can then change your style later on in the season if you do use it in a single because you don't necessarily have to you know, carry really expensive players or good players later on in the season for your bench boost. However, I just still prefer using it in a double. In single game weeks, you know, you a player, a couple of players miss out, and all of a sudden you're using two of two out of your four bench options anyway. We've seen it loads of times this season already with unreported injuries or 
they're randomly ill or they just get benched and rotated because they play for City or Chelsea or whatever it is. So, oh, they yeah. get their wisdom, te- wisdom teeth taken out. Yeah, yeah, Mal. So, um, yeah, anything can happen. Whereas in a double game week, if a player does miss out and you bench boosted, at least they've got a chance of playing the second game. If they've rotated in the first, they've got a chance of playing the second. So, yeah, that's how I'll always do it. But good luck to people who want to do it in singles. It's just not for me. Yeah, same as same as that. So how do you approach captaincy? Do you have a specific strategy for choosing your captain each week? Nothing sort of super insightful. It is normally a toss-up between... I've normally got two or three solid premiums in my team. And any given week, they, you know, you could make an argument for them. And I tend to just try and pick... It's going to sound really obvious, but like, you know, the most informed player, the most trustworthy over a long period of time, your sellers, your Kane, your Vardis, when they're, you know, on form and we know that they can produce the goods in the past and when they've got a very good home fixture. So, yeah, it's kind of a, it's not that insightful of an answer, really. But I think, again, it just comes back to keeping FPL simple. And yet, these, you know, some managers will go for a bit more of a differential captain pick. Maybe they'll captain Trent or Gareth Bale last season did really well for certain people in. In, in odd game weeks but I, I'd never catch that sort of haul because I'd always play quite safely and conservatively with my captain just because I feel like you're not going to get it right every single game week no one will but over 38 game weeks I feel like that's the more likelihood of yielding the most points if that makes sense Yeah in terms of captaincy I think it was two seasons ago I was you know reflecting on my season and my my captaincy percentage was was really low you know in terms of how many points I got from my captain I think it was something like 19% of my total score and then last season it was something I really wanted to improve on it was kind of my number one goal for the season was to improve that percentage yeah. and like you said I just went back to keeping it simple you've probably got your two premiums and you very rarely move away from them for for the armband it just comes down to fixtures you know which one of those premiums has the best fixture in, in any given game week. And I think my percentage jumped from 19% up to 25%. And I think nice. this season, you know, over the first 11 game weeks, captaincy has been going pretty well. Also, it, it's been obviously a lot easier when Salah's been, been so good. But yeah, for me, yeah. captaincy, I honestly spend about 10 minutes on captaincy when it comes to a Friday. I don't really think about captaincy during the week. It's usually one of the last decisions I make. Yeah, I, you know, in the long run, maybe in a few weeks beforehand, you know, I do make a captaincy matrix in terms of, you know, which players have the best fixtures for the next four or six game weeks and, you know, making sure you have the captains when the game week arrives. But um, I think I give, you know, less thought to captaincy now than I've ever done in the past. So, yeah, I think it's a really good point about, you said there you only take 10 minutes on captaincy and I think that's actually quite wise because what that does is it makes you play it simple and keep it simple rather than overanalyze certain decisions you could make and, you know, you might end up ignoring a premium good pick just because of, some research you've done into stats and it can get a bit messy and then you end up regretting it. So yeah, keeping it simple is a, a good way to play. So yeah, moving away from kind of the specifics of FPL again and more about, you know, online content and podcasts and stuff like that. I've got a couple of questions. Again, I'll probably just bunch these together and you can touch on whatever you want to. So how much time do you spend on Twitter, Reddit, FPL websites and forums each week? Are you online every day? Do you listen to FPL podcasts, football podcasts, and do you watch FPL content on YouTube? And I guess the main question is, how do you manage the overload of information available to these days? Yeah, there definitely is an overload and it's definitely something that you have to watch out for and you have to manage. So for me, I'm on Twitter quite a lot and that's even before, you know, it was sort of the full-time job. So yeah, definitely a bit of a Twitter addict. And again, like I said earlier, I kind of use sort of, in terms of websites, I'd use Hub for some of the tools and stats and and content. Other than that, I do listen to your your podcast, Mark. I'm not just saying that because I'm because I'm joining you this week. I'll send you the I'll send you the 20 quid in the post for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um and on YouTube I watch um Will does a team reveal on, on Hub's YouTube, which is which I like. It's a short video. Um and again it's kind of the mind of a, a thought process behind a manager who's got you know a, a ton of top 1K finishes or whatever he's got. So it's kind of learning from good players. But yeah other than that try and strip it back and don't over consume too much or don't take everything literal. Because like you say someone might be presenting information or stats on a certain player because they're almost justifying bringing them in, um, which is something I probably do as a content creator as well. Maybe when I'm doing my my YouTube streams or whatever, I'm, I'm probably biased towards certain players for my own personal reasons. It's, it's hard to avoid. So yeah, it's just about trying to manage that as best you can. And I guess that just comes from, like I said, a sort of confidence in 
my own decision making or my own choice not to have to try and find the answers elsewhere and just to try and narrow in on have an idea for what I want to do to my team before consuming a load of content. Sometimes it, sometimes it can be helpful to change your mind. You might listen to content about a certain player and it might be pretty persuasive and it might change your mind. It might be good. It might be a good thing. Like, oh, I've actually listened to certain podcasts or I've read certain articles and actually they made a good point that I missed because I haven't watched all the games or haven't quite been up to date. I've been busy or whatever. So it can definitely be beneficial, but yeah, it is about managing it and reining it in. And there's so much out there now and not consuming everything just to try and make your decisions because you could read four or five different articles with all different opinions on the same player essentially so yeah yes and so you mentioned will you know really good manager i'm hoping he'll be coming on this uh, to do one of the interviews as well and in terms yes. of managing information it it's got to the point now i'm sure plenty of other people are in the same boat that you know i'm an fpl addict number one and, and becoming a twitter addict kind of closely follows that if you're going to spend a lot of time you know looking at stuff on twitter it's got to the point now where i've just removed twitter from my phone i've only done it recently so now if i want to go on twitter i need to open up the the laptop it just makes it that little bit harder to go on there because i found i was just if you monitor your screen time you know i I was what looking at it for a couple of weeks and i was just spending way too much time on on like stuff twitter and slack and you know fpl reddit and stuff and i always find if you take a step back you know, your mind is a lot clearer when it comes to making your FPL decisions on a Friday. And, and I've really enjoyed, we're recording this during an international break. You know, I, I switched off probably more so this international break than I've yeah. ever done in the past. And now I'm feeling really refreshed and ready for the, you know, the very busy Christmas period that's coming up. So yeah, yeah very important. If you, if you find, if you think you're spending too much time on FPL, whether it's podcasts, reading stuff, or just being on Twitter, 40 times a day, which was my case, you know, you know, you know, it's important to recognize that and, and take a step back from it. I, I put a tweet out asking people for questions and this was probably the most common reply. How do you cope with a bad game week? Okay. Yeah. So this one's important. I think something that I've actually got um, pretty good at over the last, in the more recent years. So yeah, when I first started playing FPL, again, really into it, really wanted to beat my mates, et cetera, et cetera. And a bad game week or, you know, a player missing a penalty or red card, it would just be infuriating. But now I think it's important to let it, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably very into FPL like we are. And it's no good just being like, oh, just be positive straight away. No, you've got to, you've got to let it annoy you. You've got to let it, whatever emotion you're feel, feeling. Like when I'm watching games, I'll be a player misses a chance. I'll be punching my sofa or whatever. Um, but it's about getting over that quickly. So, you know, almost letting it annoy you processing it take spending some time away from your screens and away from the football going for a dog walk without your phone where however you sort of cope and you know get over it as quickly as possible and sort of for me I've had a few bad game weeks recently um, but by Sunday night I'm almost over it and looking forward to the next week and then by the time Friday comes along to make my decisions for transfers of capsule whatever I'm not uh, making those decisions based on you know being annoyed about FPL um so it, one, it helps with FPL decisions and two, you know, you don't want to be spending your life, you know, days, you don't want to have your weekend ruined by FPL and you don't want then your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to still be annoyed about a bad game week. So I do think it is very important to get over it because otherwise you're not going to enjoy the game and that's the purpose of playing it. You want to be enjoying it as much as you can. Yeah, again, it's something I've had to work on a lot over the last couple of years is to get better at dealing with bad game weeks because when you take it as seriously as we do, it's only natural that you're yeah. going to be annoyed when things don't go well. And I think, one of the biggest tips from me is if you've had a bad game week, just stay off Twitter because it's not going to make you feel any better. That's for sure. Just yeah. give it a couple of days, come back because you're just going to go on with your 30 point game week. And you're going to have to look at all the people gloating about their 70 point game week. So yeah, take a few days away. And what I think a good way to, to cope with a bad game week as well, you know, it's easy to say switch off, uh, do something else. But if you're big into FPL, it's almost impossible to do so. So if that is the case, focus on the future not what's happened. Those points are gone. You know, start looking at the next game week, maybe the next set of four game weeks, look at the fixtures, look at the stats, you know, go back and watch some highlights and just prepare yourself better than other people for the yeah. next couple of game weeks so that you can bounce back from that frustrating one. Yeah, 100% on that. And another way I think I deal with it, again, that I probably didn't do in the first few years is because now I've, and again, maybe this isn't as helpful to everyone, but I kind of know that everyone has bad game weeks, including people who do very well at the game. So if, if everyone has bad game weeks, they're inevitable. So that's just a bad game week. It's not necessarily a bad season. I think uh, we did a pod uh, last season, Mark, just after I forgot to press bench boost. And I'd take I was afraid to. Eight. I was afraid to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just about over it now, about a year later. No, um, but my point with that is, 
that was obviously a horrific game week and my you know my team I got a really bad game week rank as well just to add insult to injury and it dropped down from I think I was flying quite high at the time dropped right the way down to 200k-ish at Christmas time but just kept playing my game and by the end of the season was uh, end up on a good rank so the point I'm trying to make is everyone even we're talking about the elite 64 right everyone in that league will have probably I don't know 10 bad game weeks a season at least so everyone's going to have them they're inevitable and I, I've just had three or four in a row but I'm still confident of having a good end of season rank which is what it's all about so yeah it, you have to learn to deal with the bad game week because everyone's going to have them yeah exactly um, I always say you know the, the person who wins the FPL this season will have four or five game weeks but yeah. it's the key is yeah. how you react to them you know you don't overreact and I think you're a good example last season feeling to play the bench boost or whatever it's one of the worst things that can happen to you but the key you know you still recovered well you didn't overreact and you still got your good finish so that's a, that's yeah. a good example for people. In terms of skill versus luck in FPL, it's a conversation that mm. crops up a couple of times a season, usually during international breaks. So what's yeah. your views on skill versus luck? And, and if you could put a percentage on it for us. Yeah, I, I'll try and put a percentage on it. It's, it is so tough to answer, but it's almost like other games where it's not fully in your control. So maybe something like poker, you'll have players who, again, I'm not a big poker player myself, but... You, you have people making a profession out of it, whereas other people say, oh, there's so much luck involved. But, you know, if those people are continually performing by using strategy and things like that, then you almost put yourself in a position to get lucky. And that's what I, I try and do. Put yourself, make as many good decisions as you can. You'll get some good luck over the course of the season. Maybe a goal that was, you know, marginally onside, the AR will give it for you. Or I think I had one early on in the season and, and Bomo had one just a millimetre over the line. I got a goal for that, but then he kind of hit the bar in the same game. So it's kind of swings and roundabouts in my opinion. It, it, over a 38 game week period, it is hard to sort of win it by pure luck or, you know, and often in my mini leagues with friends, it's it's usually the people who take it sort of seriously near the top end and the people who don't really care or don't take it as seriously mid to bottom of the table. So there is definitely skill in it which is shown by people in the elite 64 league no one could get that lucky people with much better rank histories than me i'm looking at them thinking they've not been lucky than me they've been better than me a percentage i don't know i really don't know 20 percent luck people will probably say that's mad maybe they think it's more but yeah i don't know it's a very hard question and very yeah it's probably the, to, to be fair it's probably the hardest question of all is putting a percentage on that because i think a lot of it comes down to you know if you're if i'm interviewing you and you've had five good game weeks your, your skill percentage is going to be a lot higher. Whether you, yeah. if you're coming off five bad game weeks, the, the, the luck percentage is going yeah. to be a lot higher yeah. in your mind. So, you know, that's it's going to be interesting to see what, what people say about that. Is there anything you, that you think most other managers don't do, which gives you an edge? And now you only need to answer this if you're comfortable because you might not want to give your, your edge away. Yeah, no, I think we kind of, we kind of um, touched on it earlier, but again, it's a sort of positivity and the sort of confidence that, I can bounce back from bad luck or bad decision-making, whatever it is. And like I said a minute ago, like by the time the end of the season comes, I'm confident that I will have that strong finish. Whereas what I see people who are, so like I said, right now I am going through a bad run or like a that bench books example from last year, that was a bad stage of my FPL season, but I just didn't let that affect decision-making. Um, whereas I think other people do, they'll be annoyed. You know, player X might have blanked them three times. I just had a red arrow. They think, oh, right, I'm minus four in that player out and I'm going to get the one that keeps punishing me. Even though that player might be about to start a bad run of fixtures or has maybe been quite, been overperforming in terms of an FPL. And maybe they're not a great asset, but you kind of get sucked into getting them because you're just kind of annoyed about how it's going and you want to get that player that's annoying you. So, yeah, I think that's possibly what I do. Um, and just in general, just, I think like... Uh, Fixing the weak part of your team is such a big thing and just having a good, sensible, risk-averse team throughout the course of the season, getting those good players, not worrying about if they're template or differential, not chasing either of those two things and just focusing on yourself. And this is really long answer and I've so many tangents now, but another thing is I see people doing is caring too much about their mini-league rivals. They'll say, oh, I'm 50 points behind my mini-league rival and it's only like game week eight or 18. That, that honestly doesn't matter. Forget that focus on your own team, focus on achieving the highest possible rank you can by forgetting your mini league rivals. And by the end of the season, you've got the best chance of going above them doing that rather than being like, oh, they've got Salah, so I'm going to take him out because I need to catch him. 
you can maybe start playing like that game weeks 36 onwards, so right near the end of the season. But I think that's a, a big mistake a lot of people make. Yeah, I think on this question for me, is there anything I do that most other managers don't do? It's probably the watch list. You know, I've always kept the watch list. Yeah, that's good. I always update it every single week. You know, it's a tool there free on the FPL website. You can add players to your watch list, remove them. And what it does for me is I've always got probably 20 to 25 players on the watch list, sometimes less. It just really gives you tunnel vision for the players that you're interested in and it stops you from getting you know trapped into maybe players that a lot of people are buying on Twitter in a certain game week if they're not on my yeah. watch list there's no chance I'm going to bring them in it also helps if you're having a few beers on a Friday night or or you're hungover on a Saturday morning I always yeah. make my transfers from the watch list section of the website so I'm not looking through all 20 teams or I'm not looking at the top you know the top point scorers in every position I'm just looking at the 20 players or whatever it is on my watch list. So I always say to people, if you're not using the watch list, you know, try it. And I think you'll find that it's it's very useful. Yeah, that's that's really good. And when you were talking, that just made me think about how you can't be too arrogant or too stubborn in, in the fact of like, we all watch a lot of football. We all know football well and know fa- fantasy well, but I like to learn from the other, like I said, I watch, I, I listen to your stuff, Will's stuff on on Hub, um, proven like you've got three top five in the finishes. Will's got something crazy like that as well. So I'm always trying to learn from managers with proven track records. What are they doing well? And then I can incorporate that into my own game, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. One of the managers. So that's what, and that's what the series is all about, essentially. So that's what, if anyone's listening to all, you know, all these episodes, that's what it's all about. Exactly. And it's, to be honest, it's one of the main reasons I'm doing it. You know, I've, I've had three top 500 finishes, but I, I don't class myself as an elite manager. You know, the, People like yourself, you know, seven consistent, amazing finishes, you know, top 30K, top 40K without a single bad season. You know, I think no matter what kind of FPL history you have, there's always more to learn. And by, you know, getting into the minds of these amazing managers on this series, it's going to improve me as a manager and it's certainly going to improve the listeners as well. You You can take little aspects of each manager and kind of adjust your own game then to hopefully make you a better manager for the future. Do you have any weaknesses in your game that you're always trying to improve on? Um, yeah. So I think I said earlier on about sort of this, um, picking a game with one team. I don't know how, haven't we figured out the solution of how to improve that yet? But I guess what I, what I did with my game with one team this season, which was better than last season. So two seasons ago, I picked players like Iose Perez from Leicester for some reason, just because I thought he was the best sort of cheap midfielder. And I picked other players. Then I look back on that and I think that wasn't bad. Like they were mistakes because they were rotation miss or whatever. And I went with Werner from game week one because I bought in. I eventually got convinced into the hype from obviously the Bundesliga. Whereas this season I went back to basics and picked. You know, every player was almost proven in the Premier League or had a very good chance of starting well, had good fixtures, and it was just a much better start for me for that reason. So yeah, I did definitely start better this season. But yeah, that's definitely a weakness. Um, knowledge from sort of other leagues. So I don't, don't necessarily know a lot of players who come from the foreign leagues just because I haven't really got, I don't like to watch too much of the football because I'm watching so much Premier League. I don't necessarily spend that much time watching other other leagues and knowing players from abroad or, or, or from the championship. So I kind of have to research players coming up the leagues. But that's that's probably a good thing in a way because you almost, you avoid those sort of traps by not having that knowledge. Um, but yeah, I've definitely got ways I could definitely improve. It's hard to sort of, quantify it maybe being too safe at certain times you'll see players who again I don't want to be too players specific to this season but early on in this season I went for Diaz and Rudiger because I felt they were the most nailed on defensive assets for good defensive teams Man City and Chelsea whereas the more adventurous player went for those rotation risk on paper players like Cancelo or Chilwell or Reese James or whatever and they've blown the players I've just mentioned out of the water and they haven't even really been rotated. So egg on my face for those decisions there. So yeah, a bit of a woolly answer, but hopefully people can take something from that. Sounds good. I like this question. This was another suggestion from Twitter. Um, you know, for people like myself and yourself, who have played for a long time. FPL can become draining and sometimes the enthusiasm yeah. can start to dwindle if you've been playing for, you know, 10 plus years. So do you see yourself retiring from FPL anytime soon? No, I, I do agree with what you said, that it can definitely be, you know, for us, it's turned from a hobby on the side of a, a regular job to being our job. So it's almost like before I'd maybe, you know, take a break from work or whatever to do FPL. Now, if I take a break from my work, it's to do FPL, it's doing more, almost work. So 
I do get what you're saying about the, the enthusiasm can dwindle, but no, I don't see myself uh, retiring anytime soon. Do you? Yeah, I'm the same. It's uh, I think by default when we're full-time FPL creators, our answer has to be no in terms of retirement. Yeah. I always say though, if I if I achieve my goal of winning FPL, I'll just retire at the top and then just just milk it for the rest of my life. But I always think one of my patrons in the states is he, he was in his late seventies, possibly into his early eighties now. And he's still oh, really? got the enthusiasm. He's still playing the game. And it's not just playing the game. I think he's got two top 10K finishes in the last three or four seasons. So nice. I like to think of myself, um, I've got about 50 more years before I get to 80. So that gives me 50 years to win FPL at some point. So yeah. surely, surely at some point during that time, we'll I'll, do be, it. I'll be in the running. I'll finish, I'll finish with this one. It's a nice one to finish. Um, yeah. What's your favorite FPL memory or memories? You might have a few. Yeah, I'll narrow it down just to one, which was, I don't know if you remember about two or maybe three or four years ago, Man United had a game, it was the last day of the season, so every game is meant to be played at the exact same time, right? I think 3pm on a Sunday or whatever it is, but Man United had a bomb scare at Old Trafford. That's right. And they and they had to play Bournemouth, and so the mini-leagues weren't actually decided until that game was played, and the mini-league rival of mine, who again is a friend who you know I'm very competitive with, I think he had a Man United defender and Rashford. Rashford scored in about the 70th minute, so I was like, oh, game over. Bournemouth weren't looking like scoring at all. And Man United won, was winning 3-0, literally last minute, crossed into the bar. I think it was like a Smalling own goal, which my mate had Smalling. And I just needed that that to happen to, to beat him. And I couldn't believe it happened because it was the last kick of the game. Wasn't looking like happening at all. And it was the last kick of an FPL season. So it was like a, a real unique experience because that you knew it was game over then. So... Yeah, that was um, that was a big highlight for me, that was. Nice one. So I think that wraps up the questions, Wes. Thanks again for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm wishing you best of luck for the rest of the season. Just before you go, if you want to plug where people can find you and, and just basically you've got a 30 seconds to plug whatever you want. Yeah, I loved coming on. Um, not much to plug, really. So yeah, just find me on Twitter at FPL underscore Heisenberg, or you can probably just search it and find it. So Heisenberg, like the uh, Breaking Bad character, if you're wondering how to spell it. But yeah, no, I really loved coming on, Mark, and um, really good to chat FBL with you. Yeah, thanks for being the first guest. Um, and, and yeah, best of luck for the rest of the season. So folks, I hope you enjoyed episode one of this new series and keep an eye out for episode two. Talk to you soon. The Athletic. <laughs>